This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast. This podcast series was designed to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters. We cover a variety of topics that will help you become more confident and comfortable in the field while hunting deer. On this episode, we discuss where white-tailed deer live, and that's just about everywhere. We talk about the variety of landscapes that these animals call home, what they need to survive in those landscapes, public and private lands, and how to access those lands for hunting purposes. More great information on this episode, so sit back and enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number two. And uh, so in the last episode, just as a refresher, we talked about knowing your state rules and regulations, right? And uh, now in this episode, we are going to talk about where to hunt where do deer live and i think that's just the perfect spot to start to start this conversation and i'm going to pass it to you matt with a very high level question where do deer live they live everywhere everywhere uh, yeah they they are incredibly adaptable deer uh do well in uh rural and urban environments and yeah they there are deer within city limits of many towns and and cities across the the country um, they live in grassy grasslands. They live in forests. They live in areas that are mixed between ag and forest. They're they're very adaptable species, which is why they're so prolific because they can live basically anywhere. So um, you may be thinking, you know, I don't see many deer. Um, part of that is based on their behavior, and we'll talk about that a little bit in a later episode. But pretty much anywhere in the eastern U.S unless it's straight up a uh, city with pavement everywhere, um, deer live everywhere. Right. It's, it's funny you bring that up because I was driving to work one day uh, when I was living in my cubicle lifestyle, and I even saw a deer with two young ones in that urban concrete environment. So they have the ability to live and live anywhere, yeah. anywhere. So... This is what I would feel as a new hunter uh, would be, you would look at this and say, I want to be a hunter. And it, 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 could, it could come off as difficult, but I don't think it's near as difficult as, um, as, as a person would be. And that would be finding a place to hunt. All right. And if this is another high-level question with many different uh, avenues that we're going to talk about here. But Hank, that this this goes from state to state. Again, there's a whole bunch of different uh, answers to this question. But 
where would you recommend a, a brand new deer hunter look for places to actually hunt? Well, we kind of got into this in episode one, but look local. You know, your your highest success rates of finding a place to hunt are going to be by asking local hunters if you if you know some or friends, family. I mean, people in your local community because they know you. It's going to be your your highest success rate of getting you know access to to hunting is going to be in your local peer group um, in your local community. But um, you know, you're right. Every state is different, and so you know. States have public land that is often open to hunting access. You know, some cities open up some of their public spaces for hunting. Um, but you really kind of have to ask around and get local knowledge on, on these public hunting opportunities. And, of course, if you're east of the Mississippi, you know, in the southeast, you know, the vast, vast majority of the property in your state is going to be owned by private landowners. Mm-hmm. and. And, you know, honestly, that means that the majority of the wildlife is on private lands just because, you know, in in most southern uh, states, you know, 90% of the state is probably owned by private landowners. And so um, that's that's really where I would recommend people to start. Um, You know, don't overlook public land opportunities, but I think your your best chance of finding a place to hunt is going to be in that that majority of private land in your state. Specifically with whitetails, talking about you know, where whitetails live in the country, they're, if you look at a range map of whitetails, they live in that, you know, east of the Rockies. I think it's north of 80% of that land is privately owned. You know, just talking about across all states, yeah. you know, east of the Rockies. Um, in the west, there's a lot more private land, um, but whitetails are not out there. So if you're interested in pursuing mule deer, which is a species that is in the western part of the U.S., public land might be the, the, the way to go because there's just a lot more of it. Yeah. And I think in, in whitetails, honestly, I think it's 40, there's 46 states out of the 50 that have a white, a deer hunting season or a, a whitetail deer hunting season. So, um, just so people understand, Hank, what is the difference between private land and public land? Public land is owned by the state. Or it could be federal government. Um, you know, the the federal government's been opening up a lot more land for hunting access over the last few years, which is a nice trend to see. Um, but it, it's just you know state owned or federally owned land versus uh, you know land owned by you know like citizens. me or you yeah, or, exactly. or somebody else. Yeah, yeah. There's also stuff at the uh, at the community level that might be publicly available as well. Like there's the types of public land that you can find. Um, may be listed through and managed by your state, may be federal, like Hank mentioned. Um, some of it may be county-owned. Uh, yep. There's a lot of places that the county owns land um, for recreation. It was gifted to them. They might be managing it for uh, water resources if they have water, uh, like, you know, for the town, and they have to manage that. Some of it might be managed by um other environmental organizations uh, that are overseeing the stewardship of that land. So it could be in trust, such as like a land trust or something like that, but it's open to the public. Um, and then there's also land that, not to, uh, to confuse the issue, but is privately owned. Somebody owns mm-hmm. it, but to get a, a tax write-off, they make it publicly available for hunting. Um, so generally when you put the umbrella over public land, um, it's places that anybody, and you may have to follow specific rules or regulations based on that, 
whoever, whoever is overseeing it. Um, but you can go, even though you don't pay taxes on it, you don't live there, you can go hunt it. Yeah, it's available for you to hunt, yep. right? And then private land is basically land that somebody owns that they are, and which is what we just mentioned, is the vast majority of the East, that you don't have the ability to go to there um, to hunt or to walk or do anything. And, and the way that you know that, there, we'll talk about that in a second, but some states have uh, regulations in terms of posting, whether there are signs up, um, some states don't even require that. It's just, uh, you know, right. land that you don't, you can't go on. Right. So there's, there's this differentiation between public and private, right? What are some resources that a, a brand new hunter can use to locate where these places are at, how to access them, where they can and cannot go? Your state agencies will often have a list of all that. They'll list all the you know public lands in the state available for hunting. Sometimes you have to apply for, like they call them, quota hunts, but they're trying to manage the population on these properties, so they allow a certain number of hunters on. Um, but, you know, some great, great, you know, resources for finding um, both public and private. And the private, we used to use kind of tax ID maps or tax assayer. Plot maps. Yeah. Yeah. They come by different terms in different regions, but today, one of the best resources that we we promote to, you know, our new hunters is Onyx Maps. It's an app, a mapping app. They're a partner of ours, um, but they offer a mapping service for your phone that actually lists landowners. They yeah. give you the name of the landowner, but it also is a good way to find these maybe green patches, you know, and and you know it's important to note that. You don't need a hundred acres of pristine habitat, as Matt mentioned. Deer live everywhere, so don't overlook these, you know, five-acre woodlots and stuff. And often, by getting that aerial view and that map, a you can see these public and private lands that that might be a good opportunity to hunt. Um, but you know, you can find them, find good locations, and then find the landowner information. The, the great thing about on X too is it it compiles not only what's state owned and federal, but it also has some of those other open like county based things that you can just see by the color coding of where they are. Um, your state agency may have that; they may not. I've seen states where all they do is show the state owned lands, but you wouldn't know those those uh, ones that are called like walking areas, which are privately owned, but you can go hunt there. Onyx does show that all in one place. Yeah. And I know for uh, Onyx is a, a great resource. And again, that's O-N-X, Onyx is the, the name of the app. And it's really easy to use. I mean, uh, a lot of the states, uh, I know that Iowa has a really good uh, website with mapping capabilities. Uh, the, the Department of Conservation of uh, Public Hunting Lands that you can go. But it's just a... It's a visual of color coding that is you can hunt here and you cannot hunt here without permission. It's, it's that public versus private, and it's real easy to, it's real e- easy to, to see where you can and ca- cannot go. Um, and any phone-based application yeah. uh, will show your location if you have it turned on with the GPS so you can see where you're standing too. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And it's, again, it's real easy to um, show where you're at versus where you can and can't hunt. Now, Mm -hmm. um, public ground. Public ground is available for anybody, for the most part, is available for anybody to go 
anybody to hunt. This means that you're going to be sharing for the most part, you're going to be sharing that with other, with other hunters. Now, um, Hank, you mentioned talking to friends and family and local community. Can you get a little bit more specific um, of where someone should start if they if they want to have conversations and they're they're looking for ground. I know that Iowa it has very low amounts of public land. They're they're out there. They're if you go look for them, you're going to find them. But for the most part, uh, and 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 specifically where I hunt, it is it's private ground. I've gained permission. Uh, I've I've knocked on doors. I've asked permission. I've I've had conversations with these landowners, and they let me hunt. Get into a little bit more specifics about how to maybe strike up a conversation with uh, someone at uh, a church or at your gym or at a school of how to to spark a conversation that hey I'm going to try hunting and I need a place to hunt. Well, you know, this is all considered access, you know, access to a piece of property. And uh, I've always told, you know, our members who own property, the quickest way we affect access is by inviting people. Your your best chance to kind of get that first initial, you know, trial of field is probably to try to find a hunter because they probably have a place to hunt um, and, and they have equipment they can loan you and all that kind of stuff. But your best bet is to try to find a local hunter who's willing to mentor you. Um, but then, you know, those people around you, um, you know, you may, you know, know somebody who own land, owns land, you know, or, or know somebody who owns, or, you know, just a few acres behind their house or whatever. But just look for those opportunities around you and in your peer group. It's just always going to be your best opportunity for somebody to say yes. And, you know, we call it knocking on doors or like that's kind of the slang term of, you know, driving down a driveway that looks like a place that might be good to hunt, maybe that, you know, there's a farm behind the house or whatever. Um, but that was the old traditional way of doing it, was go yeah. knock on that door, ask for permission. Um, you know, often, you know, best tips, you know, you know, maybe ask for, you know, antlerless permission or something like that. Um, be willing to put in a little sweat equity, help out a landowner if they've got chores on their property or whatnot. I mean, any of those, you know, just nice citizen, um, you know, things of helping out, being respectful, that kind of stuff. Um, a smile on your face. Mm-hmm. I mean, offering to, to help out, um, you know, you're really trying to get somebody to let you on their property. Um, we often advise people, you know, you can purchase like a liability insurance for very, you know, minimal costs and stuff like that, but you can, you know, a lot of landowners are concerned about those kinds of things, and, and it's important to, you can talk to them about the safety, as we, we mentioned in the first episode. I mean, hunting is very safe, but sometimes it's not perceived that way. Um, but we actually have, like, articles on our website of, like, tips on, on how to ask permission and, and things to keep in mind. I'd recommend them, they check those out. But just being respectful and, and, and honestly, I mean, somebody who knows you and, and knows um, about you is going to be your best chance of getting that. That's great advice. Yeah. I I think just basic human decency about, you know, just being a good person. But if you, there's some connection that you may know at work, at church, somebody that, that has land or, or has a neighbor that has land, that personal reference, that's, that's a good, uh, outlet as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I will, I will talk to you from experience that a majority of the property that I hunt is by 
permission, but knocking on doors, introducing myself to the landowner um, and letting them know what I'm interested in, uh, letting them know, you know, I, I am a bow hunter. I, I, I want to hunt this time of year, building relationships with them, not just showing up to hunt and, uh, and just hunting, then leaving, hunting, then leaving, but sparking up, building a relationship with these landowners, becoming their friends. And like you said, Hank, uh, I hunt in Iowa, huge farming and agriculture, and I've had to repair fences, um, I've out of, because these guys are allowing me to hunt on their property. Uh, I've installed satellite dishes. I've helped, uh, fix shingles, uh, fence, uh, you know, a horse or a cow gets out. I heard them back into the, the gates and the fences and, and just doing nice things for them mm -hmm. because they're doing nice things for me, which is allowing me to hunt on their property. Um, let's talk about this conversation. You're you, you've identified through a map, where you want to hunt, right? You've, you've gone to Onyx or you've gone to that, that, uh, that plot map, you know, their name, you're getting ready to knock on their door, Matt, what does that conversation look like? How do you ask, actually ask permission to hunt their farm? Uh, I would be straightforward with the person. Yeah. You're knocking on the door. It's the first time you're meeting them. If it's somebody you don't know, let's say you're in that, in that situation, um, introduce yourself, tell them where you live, um, look them in the eye and say, uh, I'm looking for a place to hunt. And, uh, I'm, I'm curious if you, if you are have any openings or if there is any opportunity, but just be respectful and polite and be direct. I think it would be as direct as possible because yeah. you don't want to waste their time. Um, you know, they're probably a busy person. Everybody's busy these mm -hmm. days and just ask specifically uh, to do that. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything to say on that? No, I mean, just straightforward, yeah. um, you know, introduce yourself, let them know who you are and, and you know, your motivations behind it and yep. um, just ask for opportunity. And, you know, chances are you're going to get a lot of no's, but, you, you know, there yeah. are people that will let you on. Yeah. And, uh, and that it is a daunting process. Yeah. Let me tell you, a lot of the new hunters that we've taken through programs over the years they know that's what they need to do, and they're daunted by just the confidence right. level it takes to go knock on somebody's door. Absolutely. But all they can say is no, and you can move on. But it is probably it, it is your best chance of finding hunting access in, in these states that are majority private land is just identifying a place that looks like it might be a good place to hunt yeah. and trying to gain permission. And I'll say this. Um, it sucks straight up to get told no. Um because a lot of people hunt on their own on their own private property it's something that as a hunter i have learned to overcome um i can remember when i moved into the the new county that i hunted and my my main hunting farm was over an hour drive away i have a family and i knew that if i wanted to hunt around the, where i live i was going to have to knock on doors and, and, and get permission and I was told no in a two-day period. I was told no 22 different times by landowners. Knock on their door, introduce myself, you know, give my pitch on me, what I'm looking for. Uh, do you have hunting property? And I was told no 22 times. But the 23rd door that I knocked on, I got permission to hunt that farm. 
the landowner allows me to be out there during the archery season and I gained access and I have opportunity to, to hunt deer close to my home now. And I, it, it, it's hard to do if you've never done it before, but once you get comfortable with that, it becomes easier and becomes easier to, to have these conversations. You know what works because in a way it, it's kind of a sales pitch, right? It, you're trying, you're trying to get something out of somebody else, Matt. I, well, I, what I would like to add to that is I think we're we're definitely going down a path of selling this story of you need to go and, and knock on doors. And it's a great, great way to do it. But yeah. a good a good thought here is there's lots of patches of ground. Remember, deer live everywhere yep. that you don't need to go to that big farm in, in the county. Absolutely. There's probably a lot of people Absolutely. hunting there. There are places on the outskirts of towns, in towns, there's a lot of urban and suburban opportunities you should Absolutely. overlook. So if somebody owns a five or 10 acre parcel, as long as you're legal and you're shooting the right implement, like you might have to shoot a, a bow or crossbow, um, that likely people aren't knocking on those doors. Right. Um, you, you may get a no in those situations as well, but don't overlook those, those urban and suburban opportunities because in a lot of places, that's where there's a lot of deer. And most new hunters want to increase the chances of seeing deer. I mean, not only new hunters, anybody, um, but you want to give yourself the best chance. And I would go, uh, oh, don't overlook those places that, you know, deer don't need a lot of space. Absolutely. Um, they don't, they don't, you don't need a lot of land to hunt. Um, you can get onto places that are smaller parcels that are might not be the most picturesque, uh, you know, rolling hills, farmland, ag, uh, forests all mixed in. Yeah, there's lots of deer in those situations, but deer will find these refuges of towns and villages on the outskirts of those areas. In some places, the states actually need help shooting deer in those places. Yes. Um, so you can you could travel really close to your house and still be able to take a deer. Yeah. And I think one thing that, uh, we should, we should, uh, like remember is that a deer doesn't know property boundaries, right? So whether that this landowner has 300 acres or has three acres, you can still potentially find an opportunity there to, to hunt the hunt deer. Yeah. I'll give a great example. So where I live, um, the, my wife and I own seven acres, um, which is, I feel very blessed to own that seven acres. And I hunt on that seven acres. Yeah. I actually have one stand in the back of my property. I also have permission on two farms that are 20 minutes away. And they're a different hunting style. Uh, the one that's behind my house, I enjoy just as much as the, uh, the other ones, just because I can walk out hunt i can actually get back and get the kids on the bus those types of things and i i get to travel to another place as well and they're all yeah. close to my house yeah and that that kind of answers the question how much land do i need to hunt and it's not very much no i mean uh parcels as little as an acre can hold deer or yeah. not hold deer you might be able to have an opportunity to shoot a deer yeah um Deer need a little bit more space than that. We'll talk. We'll talk about that in a future episode. But you don't need large parcels. You just need to have a place that is safe, um, that you're within the law. Like you, uh, Dan mentioned earlier, there's certain regulations or laws that you have to be so many feet away from dwellings. As long as you meet those, and deer are using it, um, you can hunt. Now, shooting in deer. We'll talk about recovery in a future episode as well. Not all deer drop or fall where you shoot them. Mm -hmm. So 
if the deer leaves that one or five or six acre parcel or whatever it is, if you're hunting there, you need to do the work ahead of time to make sure that you can actually get off that piece to recover it. Um, certainly doesn't uh, help to shoot the deer and it go to a place that you can't recover. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that may be the reason why, you know, I, I, I lived in Northern Virginia for a little while and there was a minimum, like you had to have five acres to hunt urban archery in, in Northern Virginia. So some places regulate the, the size of how small or how the size of parcel has to be in order to hunt. And it's probably for that, you know, to try to keep um, deer from running off and stuff like that. But um, I think most listeners would probably be surprised at how liberal uh, opportunities are. As long as you're outside of like a posted city limits, often you can discharge firearms um, and usually there's a requirement about habitable structure like we've talked about, but for archery, I mean, um, mm-hmm. there's often no requirement. Um, some neighborhoods can, can kind of have a little bit of regulation in an HOA or something, but the vast majority of places that I've looked into are, offer more hunting access than you might think in, a, in urban areas. Right. Again, uh, a guy or a gal will, will look at this and they'll say, man, uh, I, I, I I don't know where to hunt. It's a big task. And maybe the first couple times it might be for you, but everything keeps getting easier and easier. And if you get told no, have a backup, go to the next landowner. Um, And again, public land is definitely an opportunity for, for you to go out, stretch your legs, go wherever you want, walk around. Uh, And um, so the opportunity to find land and to hunt it is definitely out there. Well, and one other point is even if you're going to be hunting that public land, finding local knowledge about that public land can be hugely important because not the entire landscape isn't equal. Deer right. are going to be on certain pockets of that. Certain pockets of it are going to have more hunters versus less hunters. So um, finding some local knowledge even on that public land can really go a long way. Yep. Um, even finding somebody to show you the ropes or take you scouting on the property or something can really go a long way yep and i think it all comes back down to communication mm-hmm. talking with family talking with friends uh talking within your local community even uh the national deer association uh reaching out to someone at a local level uh and and, and talking with uh conservation organizations to help point you in the in the right direction but as far as um, you know, finding out where to hunt, I think we've covered a lot of that in, in this episode today. Uh, Matt or Hank, do you have anything else to add before we shut it down? The only thing I'd say is, is this, this can be daunting, but it, everyone can accomplish this. You can find a place to hunt. There's a, we're very fortunate in this country that there is a lot of land, and um, we might think there's a lot of people, but we, we've got a lot of great hunting opportunity. It, it's available out there. You just got to find it. Couldn't say it better than that. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to find out more information and utilize additional resources, visit DeerAssociation.com slash Hunting 101. There you will find links to the YouTube series, Guide to Successful Deer Hunting ebook, New Hunter Sign-Up Sheets, and Deer Hunting 101 courses. Additionally, you can listen to more outdoor-themed podcasts at SportsmansNation.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you download your podcasts.